Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Please join me in welcoming back to the Institute of Catholic Culture, Father Paul Shank. Please stand and we'll begin in prayer with Father. Thank you, Monica. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we are grateful beyond expression for the manifold grace that you have bestowed upon us. Most especially, we are grateful in these Lenten days that as we walk the path of penance, of reflection, of examination, that you are attending to us in your loving mercy, renewing that mercy, each and every moment, for your mercies are new every morning. We ask, we beg that you would attend to us tonight as we walk together for just some moments, as we open our hearts anew to the work of your Holy Spirit within us. Convict us of sin, draw us close to your own heart, reconcile us, to you and to each other, that we may be a community of hope, of faith, of mercy, and of love. We pray this through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The title, Piercing Your Heart. Hmm. That um, sounds like you need surgery. One of those things where the mind says, all right, I agree, but uh, the kishkas say, I'm not so sure. Uh, what does it mean? Your heart will be pierced, piercing your heart. Well, the phrase itself comes from that prophecy of Simeon, whose name you know means sign, signal, yes? Um, so there's a lot of power already in just calling this oracle by name, sign, signal, signification. To read this, uh, we'll read it from the second chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, and we should begin, I think, at verse 15. I won't ask you to rise. We're not in the context of a liturgy, but I will rise. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. 
and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by the Spirit, he came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. The Gospel of the Lord. According to the National Endowment for Human Development website, which traces the development, the, the physiological development of the human being from the first moment instant of conception throughout the whole span of life. Uh, it's an interesting website. I'd recommend you take a look at it. And if anyone ever quibbles with you, invoking such things as, I don't know, the United States Supreme Court, <laughs> to say that we simply cannot tell when human life begins. Just direct them to this National Endowment for Human Development website. And it will completely dispel their thoughts of uh, agnostic, agnosticism or, or uh, confusion. Uh, it will dispel their ignorance on that question. Um, 
but according to the Endowment for Human Development, only three weeks and one day after fertilization, the human heart begins to beat. By four weeks, the heart typically beats 105 and what to 100, 121 times per minute. So, St. Anna and St. Joachim did not even know she was expecting when Mary's heart began beating in sync with divine providence. The embryonic Mary was unique among the descendants of Adam and Eve. Her conception, which had taken place just three weeks and one day before her first heartbeat, was immaculate. Mary had been providentially and miraculously spared from the curse and spared from the stain of original sin. The Catechism says of Mary, through the centuries, the Church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace, through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. The most blessed Virgin Mary was, from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. The Blessed Virgin Mary is the ideal disciple and model follower of Jesus Christ for each and every one of us tonight. And she has been aptly called the first Christian. And when you think about it, that is so true. Be it done to me according to your word. This made Mary's little heart too tiny yet to even measure immaculate, free from the dark cardiac shadow that was described by the prophet Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? This corruption of the heart did not afflict Mary. Her heart, from its very first beat, was pure, strong, and healthy. Father Hardin defines the Immaculate Heart as the physical heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary as a sign and symbol of her compassion and sinlessness. It is this heart 
this pure and sinless, uncorrupt and immaculate heart that according to Simeon's prophecy would be pierced. Now we can learn so very much from contemplating the heart of Mary. For nine months, Mary had the heart of Christ within her, the physical heart of Christ within her. And you've seen how researchers have taken two hearts and placed them offbeat, offbeating, and they adjust and beat in rhythm together. Have you seen this? Yeah, this has been this has been publicized uh, of recent, and the hearts will will find uh, a syncopation with a rhythm that will be common to the two of them. Just think of that: the heart of Mary and the heart of Jesus so close together and in sync with each other. When asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments? All the commandments. If you put on a talit, a prayer shawl, there are tzitzit, fringes, on the bottom of the prayer shawl. We know our Lord wore the talit because it was the tzitzit that the woman with the hemorrhage of blood touched. You remember? She reached out to touch what? The hem. This is where the fringes, the tzitzit are. How many? 613 for all the commandments of the Bible. What is the greatest of the 613 mitzvot, the 613 commandments, and all of the rabbinical commentary? One commandment, this much commentary. Right? Of course the rabbis wouldn't be satisfied with anything less. So of all these commandments, what is the greatest? <clears throat> the greatest, our Lord said, is this. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your entire mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the first, the greatest of the greatest commandments is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your entire mind 
and with all your strength. It's interesting because in the Torah, when we have the Shema, it leaves out the mind. It says there, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I think it's very interesting that our Lord added mind, perhaps because he was in a time that was much more intellectually advanced than the time of Moses in the Torah, which was given in the wilderness, in the desert, to a people who had been in slavery, bondage, had been um, reduced really to um, beasts of burden. But now our Lord was speaking at a time of, um, of uh, expansive philosophy, both Greek and Roman, um, <clears throat> as well as a, a great uh, burgeoning of intellectual tradition in Judaism. So I think our Lord perhaps wanted to be sure that it wasn't just motion that people were worshiping God with, but their, their thoughts, the, the, uh, the use of their mind. So the greatest commandment is to love God with your whole heart. Mary did this perfectly. Now, why do we talk about love with the heart? The heart, in this respect, we could say in ancient times, but the same is true just today. We rely on the heart as a measure of the expression, the depth of love that is coming forth from our inner being from our inner self. It's as if it's a it's as if it's a monitor of the love emanating from our souls. Notice in the uh, notice in Simeon's prophecy that he uses this very common device of Hebrew parallelism when he says that the sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So there's, an, there's a correlation of some sort between the heart and the soul. And we still use that couplet today, heart and soul, as if perhaps the heart is the physiological monitor of the expressions of the soul. Just go back to those days when your sweetheart would enter the room. Remember the flutter? And uh, the interesting thing is as life moves along, um, when our beloved would walk into the room, our heart would, would skip a beat, would leap, right? But isn't it interesting as decades pass when she 
or he doesn't enter the room when expected, your heart skips a beat. Huh? It's an interesting inversion. But nevertheless, it's the heart. And so, in some way, the heart in this mystical uh, cooperation between the soul and the heart, the heart monitors or in some way measures the expression of the, of the soul. So, it's interesting. We can learn so much from contemplating Mary's heart. This heart, are there any cardiologists in the room? I, I thought I would yield the floor. Has four chambers. I thought the heart had two chambers. Four chambers. You know this, right? Probably some of you know it all too well. So the right atrium receives oxygen-poor blood from the body and pumps it to the right ventricle. The right ventricle pumps the oxygen-poor blood to the lungs. This sounds like a folk song, doesn't it? The right atrium receives oxygen-poor blood from the body and pumps it to the right ventricle. Never mind. It's going nowhere. The left atrium receives oxygen-rich blood from the lungs and pumps it to the left ventricle, and the left ventricle pumps the oxygen-rich blood into the body. Now, this may seem like minutiae uh, or some extraneous uh, biology, but this is what Mary's heart was doing. So, let's contemplate this. Mary's heart had four chambers. And as I contemplated this, as I reflected on this, what immediately came to my mind was relationships. Somehow, the heart engages upon the most important relationships of our lives. Our hearts are attached, integrated, uh, facilitating the relationships that are most important to us. Think of your heart's uh, response to your beloved, to your child, to your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. They make our hearts flutter. They make our hearts skip a beat. They make our hearts heavy. Um, and I thought about Mary's relationships. Already I've, I've pointed to the Blessed Mother having our Lord's heart within her for those nine months. The interlocking of the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart. The syncopation, the, the rhythm between those two hearts. But as I went further in contemplating Mary's relationships, I started with one chamber for God, one chamber of her heart, her relationship to God, one for Israel, her people, her own people. 
keeping in mind that Mary was Jewish. I was introduced once at a lawyer's. Are there any lawyers tonight? <laughs> I, at a lawyer's group. And it was a Catholic lawyer's uh, association, so it was mitigated. And, uh, and uh, the, um, the, the man introducing me, it, it, was, um, it was May, the month of Mary. And uh, they were going to, they were announcing they were all going to participate in a May crowning. And uh, I was not a Catholic at the time. I was an Anglican, a Jewish Anglican. This is so complicated. <laughs> And uh, so he, he didn't apologize, but he, he, uh, he prefaced his, his announcement. He, he said something to the effect of, I, I hope it doesn't offend or trouble our speaker tonight. And then he went on, and, and he had some wonderful words for our Blessed Mother. And I, 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 I went up immediately after him, and I said, there's, uh, there's no... Uh, the, 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 no offense or trouble here taken at all. I said, every Jewish boy knows that he's to worship his mother, and if he doesn't, she'll kill him. <laughs> now, I, I'm a Catholic now, so I know we don't worship Mary, but when I was a Jewish Anglican, I did. Uh, Mary was, was Jewish. Um, and her own people are the people of Israel. So there must be a place in her heart, don't you think, for Israel, for the people of Israel. Jewish parents. She had Jewish parents. Um, and then uh, the third place, I, uh, the, 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 the third relationship I thought of is the nations, the Gentiles. Are there any Gentiles here tonight? <laughs> you know, I like to say, you know, that I'm all for Gentiles. But Gentiles can be scary people. You know that Gentiles commit most of the crime in the world. Just do the math. <laughs> but there must be a place in Mary's heart for the nations for the Gentiles. And when I pondered this, I, I thought of how profound this would be because Mary was a ever so young Jewish girl from the small town of Nazareth in Israel greater Syria, the Aramaic Jewish common folk. Now, true, she was from the line of King David, but don't get the wrong idea. Jewish kings, they don't do it like Gentile kings. <laughs> you know, David, David was... Uh, David was not the regal uh, king in a castle like we think, you know. Uh, he was kind of a rough sort, to say the least. Um, but nevertheless, the house of David was poor at 
the time of the gospel. In the New Testament times, the, 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 the house of David had been reduced. There was no Davidic king in Israel for a very long time. Uh, the, uh, the kings were from, um, the, the kings were the, uh, the, the, the political descendants of the Maccabees. They, they were not of the tribe of Judah. They were not, well, they would be generally perhaps of Judah, Benjamin, or Reuben, but they were, but they were not descendants of David per se. Um, Hasmonean, uh, and they were, uh, politicized by that time. So uh, Mary's, Mary's being of the Davidic line gave her no, no uh, international status. So just contemplating this young woman embracing the Gentile world with the fullness of her heart, it's just, it blows your mind to think of it. The Gentile world was was hostile, it was um, in deep conflict with Israel. The, the whole structure of the Judean kingdom now was split between those who had fought with the Maccabees and become the Hasidim, the very orthodox, um, and then there were those who were the compromisers and under the uh, dominance of um, of, uh, of, of non-Jewish authorities. Um, so the Gentile world was very, very strange and difficult to reach and much more difficult to embrace. But we will see that Mary has the Gentiles, the nations, in her heart, in her heart. And then the last chamber of Mary's heart that we're going to look at is the, ch the chamber for the church, the place for the church in Mary's heart. And we'll see how the church fills up uh, her heart of both Jews and Gentiles in the heart of Mary. So tonight we will, um, tonight we're going to spend the remainder of the evening um, with Mary's heart for God. And then God willing, Am I here next week, Deacon? We'll look at the other three. So let's just begin back where we started tonight um, with the prophecy of Simeon. So we go back to the second chapter of St. Luke's Gospel. And Simeon took the child Jesus up in his arms. I read that again and I, I had to just imagine gathering up the incarnate God into my arms. It, 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 how, do you, how do you imagine that? How do you even paint that picture in your mind? He gathers the child Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. Who is the word? 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. For my eyes have seen your salvation. In the Hebrew New Testament, this is ki rauni et Yeshua Techa. Yeshua Techa. You know Jesus' name in Hebrew? Yeshua. Ki rauni et Yeshua Techa. For I have seen your Yeshua, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. All peoples. But now the two types of people in the world. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So here we have, lest there be any ambiguity about the mission of the Messiah. He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not an afterthought. Um, I was taking my firstborn, she was very little, very little girl at the time, with me to the dentist. Or maybe we were coming back. No, I think we were going to. And she said, uh, Daddy, uh, is the doctor Jewish? And uh, so, you know, I mean, you understand the chatter in, in our household. Everybody's, you know, we talk about everybody. <laughs> and uh, I said, yes, honey. And she said, does he believe in Jesus? And I said, no, honey, I don't think so. But you said he was Jewish. And we're Jewish, and we believe in Jesus. I said, honey, it's complicated. <laughs> A light for the revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles did not have the prophecies. The Gentiles did not have the promise of the Messiah. The Gentiles sat in darkness, Isaiah tells us. So they needed the light for the revelation to the Gentiles. And Simeon gathers up the Messiah into his arms. And lest there be any misunderstanding, the Holy Spirit was with him and inspired by the Spirit. So these are not Simeon's ideas. These ideas are inspired. They are they are given to him by the Holy Spirit, and then he speaks them according to the Spirit. So the Spirit, through Simeon's prophecy, makes it abundantly clear, unambiguous, that this child has come to the Gentiles. 
a light to the Gentiles, to the nation. And for glory to your people, Israel. So we know here in the prophecy that our Lord has, just as uh, he has two natures, true God and true man, so he has a heart for two peoples. Israel and the Gentiles. His mission is to Israel and to the Gentiles. Sometimes we forget this. In early times, first couple of centuries, the first two and a half centuries of, of the church's life, the Gentiles were, were second in line. You know, uh, the, the, the bishops of Jerusalem were all Jews until the, uh, until the end of the second century. Um, Jerusalem was really the center of the church, though uh, the other seats were gaining um, prominence. Um, Hebrew and Aramaic were the original languages of the church, of the gospel. Um, and so the Gentiles were the ones who were in line, if you will. Now it's the reverse. Now we, we think of the Jews as... Um, an addendum, um, an asterisk when we talk about the, the uh, mission of the church or the expansion of the gospel. We, we forget that the original mission of the Messiah was equally to the Gentiles as a light and the glory of Israel. Now, if I read, if I recast this and translate it again into Hebrew, this would be lichavod leisrael. Um, kavod, the glory of Israel, would be the fullness, the completion, the filling up of Israel. In other words, the perfection, if you will, in the sense of completing a process. So the completion of Israel is the realization of her Messiah. Now, there's been some skittishness about this, of course, in the history of the church, and most recently, to be sure. And the, what, some of the most beautiful language, Christian language about the Jewish people is in the Catechism. Just read it. It's beautiful. Um, and uh, the church is careful about how the evangelization of the Jewish people should 
take place. But nonetheless, the mission of the Messiah is equally to the Jewish people and to the Gentile people. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this is verse 34, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is spoken against a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, points to Mary as the mother of the Redeemer who bears and brings to birth the one who will reverse the curse of Adam and Eve. And so in this respect, she was the new Eve. The first Eve's disobedience we know brought death. The second Eve's fiat brought life. Eve, Chava, the name Eve in Hebrew is Chava, and uh, it comes from the three-letter Shoresh, which is every Hebrew word, almost every Hebrew word, 98.9% of Hebrew words, has a three-letter uh, root that we call Shoresh, a three-letter root. Every word comes from three letters. Three, word, get it? I, I didn't, all through six years of Hebrew school, but I do now. Um, and the root, Chava, the root of Chava, the Shoresh, uh, Yud, Hey, Yud, three letters, Y-H-Y is the same as the root of God's name. Hmm? The tetragrammaton? yud Hey vav Hey. And this root, Yay-Yay, means existence, essence, essay, means existence. So Eve has in the center of her name the root of God's name. Mary, the fathers said, becomes or is the second Eve through her yes. Be it done to me according to your... And who is the word? See how this all comes together. Luke tells us that Mary was full of grace. And for the church throughout the ages, this meant that she possesses every aspect of God's grace. All the moral and theological virtues. 
Just ponder that for a moment. All the extraordinary gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit were resident within her. Her fiat to Gabriel at Nazareth reveals that her heart is totally, completely, thoroughly responsive in love for God. As we said, your beloved enters the room and your heart is alert. Mary's heart is alert for God. Be it done to me according to your word. You know, we, we take that response too much uh, as a um, as an acknowledgement of a command or um, a response to dicta. Uh, God said this, so I accept it. What do you want me to do? What shall I do? Do this, I shall do it. But this is far, far deeper and more profound than that. This is a relationship. Take a look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest and we saw it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship, relationship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Concerning the word of life. Who was the word of life, according to John? Jesus Christ. So, what I'm driving at here is that when Mary says, be it done to me according to your word, she is speaking of a relationship. In Aramaic, the word word is, well, it, in Aramaic, it's a mystical concept, memre. I'm wondering if the word meme is related to this, but uh, it, it invokes an, an image a, a, a three, make that a four-dimensional image. It 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 lives and has has um, 
it, it's it's alive. It's a it's a living entity. In fact, the word of God is a living messenger, not a printed page, not block letter in black ink, not a document. And John, I think, so beautifully demonstrates this. What we have what we have touched with our hands, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have heard with our own ears, Simeon gathered the word up into his arms, presumably reaching out to the Blessed Mother and, and taking the child from her bosom into his own arms. Uh, this, this, you, you don't do this with a document. Uh, there's no relationship to the page. Mary is responding to the person of the Word. The Word as a person. Be it done to me according to your Word. And so, we think always of a pierced heart as a wounded heart, an injured heart, a damaged heart, a depleted heart. But think again, is the pierced heart the heart wide open? Wide open to God. Be it done to me according to your word, according to you. And she receives the word into herself and she carries the word in her and then she gives birth to the word and then she coddles the word. She feeds the word. She mothers the word. She releases the word. And now we, we can see why she would say, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Because it's so much more than instruction, than uh, a script. No, this is, this is the person. So her heart has been pierced and made wide open. Now we're going to see Israel in her heart and we're going to see the nations in her heart and we're going to see the church in her heart. But that piercing perhaps gives us this image of the word. And finally, because I see Deacon marching with the microphone, Finally, one last, one last thought that I'll, I'll put in here. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child and all who 
heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her, her heart. So here I have to give Luke his due. Symbolo, the Greek word, pondered, symbolo. Sim, together. Balo, to cast or to, uh, it's more than place, it's better than toss, but it's to cast together, symbolo, to cast together. Mary takes all of this word, mystical as it was, broad as it was, beyond her experience and place in life, far beyond her age and status. She takes this prophecy, the angels, the shepherds, uh, and she casts them together into her heart. And what is she, what is she doing? She's begun to embrace the word of God in her heart. She's assimilating the word into her own heart and her heart becomes full of that word. And so the first place, the very first place in Mary's heart is the place for God. And if our own hearts are going to be pierced in this Lent, we need our hearts opened for God and to God as Mary's heart was opened to the Word of God. To open up our hearts and receive the Word into our hearts so that our hearts beat with Mary's heart which beats in perfect time with God's heart. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist. Pray for us.